Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. I'd like to start by wishing uh, my uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law uh, Mazaltov on the Brit Mila yesterday of their baby, of their brand new baby, Meir uh, Abixer. Congratulations to Chaim and uh, Miriam Abixer, my uh, brother, brother-in-law and sister-in-law on the Brit Mila yesterday. Um, uh, I also would like, to, uh, would like to shout out the dedications for today with Rufuash Lema of Aron Yehuda Ben Lea Chana, sponsored by uh, Michael Sevi. I'm not sure if it's Michael or Michael, but Michael Sevi. As well, sponsored by Stephen Galapo, dedicated in honor of his loving parents, Albert and Shirley Galapo. The week of Cold Brew, Cold Brew, sponsored by David E. Ash, in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. And of course, um, uh, in Rifu'ah Shlema for Yaakov Israel ben Tamar Malka for Yaakov ben Sarah and Chaim Rafael ben Frida and uh, Eliyahu ben Yaman Chava all of the holim of our community that we pray for each, uh, each and every day my friends tonight is Lagba Omer and no I did not lose my chance to count it tonight with Beracha because I said the words Lagba Omer Technically, though, if you say Lag Ba'omer tonight after Shkiao at nightfall, there's some opinions that say that you lost your opportunity to count with the Beracha. However, many poskim say that the fact that Lag Ba'omer is now used as the way you define the day, right? It's the way you define the day. You, you, don't, you don't mean to count. You're saying Lag Ba'omer, but... Other poskim say, if a person can, and can escape not saying Lag Bomer until the time that they've managed to count with a beracha, tavo alehim beracha. But this holiday is all about, is all about uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. The fact that his students stopped dying on that day, the fact that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai uh, uh, blessed us, Baruch Hashem, the day of Hilulah of his of his, uh, of his passing, and as well, the celebration of everything that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai left the Jewish people in terms of the Chochmat Anistar, the teaching of all of the Kabbalistic uh, uh, sources and understandings, the Zohar, uh, and, and all of the Sefarim that kind of uh, follow in that, in those, in, those, in those pathways. So I just wanted to speak for one minute about this Minhag, the Minhag on Lag Ba'omer, that has become a, a tradition amongst Am Yisrael, the, the lighting of bonfires. And while the custom itself perhaps has many different uh, sides to it, I'd like to maybe perhaps give it a little bit of a different bent, a different uh, twist. So going in tonight, that's something that, uh, we, that we also can think about. You know, in the synagogue tonight, we have a custom. We do the Ahidullah for the Tzadikim. We'll light all the candles in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Bet Knesset. And of course, if anyone would like to sponsor tonight's events, either in whole or each one of the, any one of the candles, um, so you're more than welcome to do so, you can bid for the candles online and we'll uh, start with the starting bid with whatever was bid online tonight um, uh, as a tremendous zechut. So I just want to talk a little bit about this concept, the concept of fire and its representation in Judaism. And I think that this is really at the heart of what it is that the celebration of the Hilulah of Lag Ba'omer is about. You know, one of the ma- amazing things about Ish, 
about fire in general is, uh, or ash, one of the great things about uh, ash is that it is something that brings a tremendous amount of light. It brings a tremendous amount of warmth. But aside from that also, it is the very nature of ash itself which is being celebrated and noticed on this holiday. And what is the, the nature of ish? The process of ish, what does ish, what does fire do? What fire does is it takes something which lives in the world of potential and it makes that thing actual. In, in scientific terms, it takes mass and it turns mass into energy. That is what fire does. It will take a, an existing fuel source and burn up. And what's left afterwards? Nothing. Coal. You let the fire burn long enough, the coal itself breaks down and falls apart, and it just becomes ash itself. The idea, my friends, of fire is to use potential to the point where you've brought out every part, every particle of fuel source from within. You've extracted all of the warmth all of the light that's possible from that thing and you've brought it out and actualized it in the world. So the lighting of the candles of the, in uh, memory of all the great tzaddikim represents not only some sort of memorial candle but illustrates that the light and the birachot and the wisdom and the Torah that they communicated throughout their sefarim, through their actions, through the stories that we know about them, it brings and resonates and lights up even our life here today. That's the concept behind it. Specifically with, uh, with uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, why do we have and why do we use this bonfire to represent, you know, his Hilula more than others? If you ask the Moroccans, they'll tell you it's not so specific. They're lighting bonfires by uh, uh, Rabbi Haim Atta, by, uh, no, what's the, what's the famous one? Rabbi, Rabbi Diwan, right? Is that the one with the big fire with the tree, right? Rav Amram ben Diwan, so there's others as well. But why specifically has it become so nafutz in Am Yisrael, this concept of the Zohar? And as well, does this idea, does it resonate, does it apply to us as well, maybe that are not on the level uh, of uh, studying Kabbalistic works or understandings because we've not yet gotten to the level. Our rabbis tell us that to study the mystic secrets of Torah, to study Zohar, a person has an obligation first to finish Shas, first to finish Poskim, first to finish Mishnah. You know, you have people that they, they never even read Chamisha, Chumshet, they never read the five books of the Torah, and they're swimming in the ocean of, uh, of the Zohar. For someone like that, the ones, the great rabbis have taught that a person like that who doesn't have the foundation, actually learning the Zohar, it harms them, and instead of swimming in deep waters, they're swimming with sharks. Fascinating. It can be a very dangerous thing to be studying the Zohar until a person has a foundation in Torah, in mainstream, in all of the books of the Torah, the Tanakh, the Mishnah, the Gemara, because again, you don't really know what you're reading, and in certain ways, when a person doesn't understand the words of the Zohar, they're liable to get into places where they're misunderstanding the Zohar, and they're getting ideas which are literally kfira, which are uh, heretical concepts. They don't realize they're attributing power to angels and all sorts of things which literally flies in the face of the very first one of the, the uh, what's it called, 
of the Aserita Debrot, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, and then the second one, Lo Panai, there shall be no other powers before me. People who don't understand are attributing all sorts of powers to various uh, beings, all sorts of uh, power to certain actions, and they're not realizing that those actions are powerful in the fact that they are plugged into the power source, the only power source, the power source that is Borei Olam. So that's why our rabbis traditionally were so careful in instructing people not to study until they were a certain age, they had certain wisdom, they had a, a teacher himself that really understood what he was talking about. But what Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai did was a, he brought about a, effectively a concept of teaching the, the, the sitre, the hidden secrets of Torah. So what are these hidden secrets? What do, they, what do they mean and where did they come from? That we should represent the hidden, something which is not visible to the eye, which through a process actually brings about tremendous warmth and light. Right? That is the process of teaching Sitre Torah. It's taking something that isn't revealed and bringing it out into the open. That was something that he did more than anybody else and therefore... The representation of that holiday was done uh, by the bonfire. And I always say to people, a fire could warm, a fire could give light, but a fire could also burn. People that, again, that live their lives where Judaism is some sort of, almost like a superstitious cult, uh, similar in many ways to something that you'd find in Africa or wherever, that becomes the life of a person that lives only with the secrets of Torah, Zohar, but doesn't understand the halakha and doesn't understand... The, the basic mitzvot that make up the furniture of what it means to be a Jew. So yes, that same fire that provides light and warmth can literally burn and destroy a person's whole relationship with God. You have to do it carefully with instruction and as well with tremendous guidance and humility. Now, my friends, I want to talk a little bit about this idea about the, uh, the fire of Yahadut because I think that in this idea is hidden really the secret and the difference between a Judaism that survives and a Judaism that founders. You know, our Chachamim tell us that when God gave the Torah on Mount Sinai, uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave it with, uh, with tremendous fire and smoke and etc. etc. And one of the questions that's asked by the Mefarshim is that why is it that Borei Olam gave the Torah? Why, why with fire? Why was that an important component. So we've already explained this idea that there's potential for light in everything. That means that in every scenario a person goes through, in every interaction that they have in life, in every uh, setback, in every success, in every conversation, there's an opportunity for light. In every scientific reality, there's an opportunity to see, to learn a lesson, to understand something, to gain wisdom. And therefore, this idea of having the fire there is also representative of, of the plethora of ways a person can come close to God and can learn and move forward in their life. But however, my friends, there's something else here as well. And that is that we know that fire always represents, as we said, the warmth and passion, uh, the warmth and passion of a person. And it is a true, it is a truism for our generation that when we see someone 
who is practicing Judaism, even with great attention to detail, but without any passion, without any excitement, you can be sure that that Judaism will not last. And I think that part of the reason for that is a very simple reason. You know, you can never give, as we said the other day, an intellectual answer to an emotional problem. Correct? Conversely, you can never give an emotional answer to an intellectual problem. Someone asks you, how much is two plus two? And you say, I feel yellow. Shut up. The aura of this number, what are you saying? I'm asking you a math problem. Okay? The same thing is true also within the human spirit. The nature of halakha and the didactic nature of practice, it operates on one realm. But when the Yetzirah comes knocking, when the Yetzirah is trying to knock you off your game, he's operating on another plane. He's speaking to a person's desires, to a person's passions, right? To what gets them motivated. In whatever plane, by the way. The Yetzirah, as we spoke about, is a master at this. Sometimes he'll deal straight with a pure element of desire. Women, money, uh, fame, honor, you know, so he's kind of pushing you with those, with the simple tricks. But there's times when the Yetzirah is much more nuanced. He'll come up with a, a side angle. You know, yeah, you really should do this because it's an act of kindness, you know, but you know you're not allowed to. Do it anyway, etc., etc. You know, come on, see the bigger picture. So Yetzirah has many different tricks. But almost all of the Yetzirah's tricks, they emanate not in the realm of the mind, but in the realm of passion and desire. It could be passion for something illicit. It could be excitement for something that seems like it's the right thing to do. Right? I believe that Robin Hood was not a thief. He was misunderstood. Right? Robin Hood, right, is the, the ultimate example of, uh, what's it called, of Hollywood's twisted moral values, where you could present a person who steals from the rich and gives to the poor as a tzaddik. They present him, as I always say, not as Robin Hood, but as Rabbi Hood. Right? Now, of course, you know, if in the story of Robin Hood, the guy's a thief and a murderer, it makes sense that Robin Hood should, uh, you know, eliminate someone who's uh, a rasha, killing people. Okay, if that's the story, fine. But the idea that the justification, I mean, I think we hear that a lot in politics today. <laughs> Let's make the rich pay more. As if, that's, as if that's their responsibility, their government-mandated responsibility. Someone else doesn't have, yeah, we can mandate. That's their that is their prerogative, their moral and ethical prerogative. But to force someone to say, I'm going to take more from you because someone else doesn't have, I'm going to take it against your will. That's just thievery hiding behind governmental practice. You're stealing something that belongs to somebody. Now, I, I want to illustrate this. When someone does that, what is the motivation? 
The motivation is I feel bad for this poor guy. And by the way, that part of the stick is fantastic. So dig into your own flipping pocket. Don't put that on me. The Yetzirah figured out a way how to get you passionate about this action. What is the only way to fight fire? With fire. I always counted that as an example of one of the many famous phrases that are super dumb. <laughs> you just imagine like saying to a fighter, firefighter, you know how the only way to fight fire? Firefighter is like, yes, with water. That is the only way to fight fire. You're like, oh, you guys don't fight fire with fire? No, you don't have like a, a big hose of more fire to fight. You guys have been fighting fire incorrectly all these years. This is why you fail at your job. So obviously, in the real sense, it's a really stupid thing to say. But in, the, in, the, in this sense, it's absolutely true. And I want to share an example of this that I noticed on a Pesach program. You know, lots of people come to Pesach programs and uh, they're in a beautiful uh, setting. The sun is shining. They've gone to some Caribbean island. It's fantastic. You walk into the hotel, someone is serving you drinks or hors d'oeuvres. You're drinking something out of a coconut, right? <laughs> I always thought, you know, they could put anything in there. They could put sewage in that coconut. You'd be like, oh, aloha, right, okay. <laughs> No, who's checking? I don't know exactly what's going on in there. Anyway, point is, right, you have all these amazing things that are coming right at you. So, of course, what do Jewish people do? We complain, <laughs> right? This is my room, my, my thing, my luggage was taken second instead of first. I had to wait here seven minutes instead of nine minutes, you know, to, to, nine instead of seven minutes to go change my bathing suit, right? So they like to complain. So... Um, I know. So I noticed this this guy who I'd spent Pesach with for many years. He brought in a team, and uh, one of the per, the people that was on the team was from New Zealand. This was a trip in Mexico, uh, maybe five six years ago. And the, this woman from uh, from New Zealand, anyone from New Zealand or Australia, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe they, they have different situations down there. But down down under, right? They in Australia, New Zealand, they're just relaxed. I think maybe because in Australia you could die at any time. You know, like there's just, you know, things out to kill you all the time. You could die from spy spiders as big as your face, right? Lots of different things can happen to you. I mean, is, there's like you could get punched in the face by a kangaroo, because that's actually a thing, by the way. Did you know that? That kangaroo's box? Did you know that? I kind of would pay any money in the world to see a match between a kangaroo and Mike Tyson. That would be hilarious. I just, I'm just imagining in my head, oh yeah, oh yeah, but that's in my head. I'm just imagining that moment, right? So they're very chill. So someone comes and they're very angry and they're complaining and this girl is just like not at all registering any sort of... So she's like, you know, I can't do a New Zealand accent. She's like, absolutely, no problem, whatever you need, I'll get right on that. That's very distressing. She just was like flatlining, right? Zero stress, right? Anyway, so the guy, I noticed, I was like, oh, this is amazing customer service. But the guy, the, the less she got worked up, 
the less she responded to his anxious nature, the angrier he got. Because in his mind, she wasn't taking him seriously. Because she wasn't also yelling. <laughs> right? So she's like, relax. He's like, is this a joke to you? <laughs> I'm just laughing on the side. I find these things hilarious. But either way, I'm standing on the side, and I'm just watching. I wish I would have videoed it. But, you know, anyway, so what struck me at the end was like, I was thinking to myself, because I always analyze, and I'm always thinking, why did, why did he get so upset? And the answer is because he was expecting fire. You know, if your child is super upset at the other kid, and he did this and they did that, and, blah, 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 and you're like sitting there and you're just listening, and you don't react at all, what does your kid say? What do they feel? They feel like you don't care. They want a reaction out of you where you're yelling and screaming. Anything less than that's not going to do. My friends, what is here in a simple way is also true in a deep and powerful way in our own existence. And our rabbis use a very interesting word. Le'olam yargiz adam. A person should, I don't even, it's a very strong word in Hebrew. Yargiz means to infuriate. You should infuriate your Yetzer HaTov against your Yetzer Hara. Isn't that interesting, that language? What do we mean? What we mean is if the Yetzer HaTov comes from New Zealand, he's not winning. If he doesn't get angry, he doesn't get even. Because the Yetzer Hara is pushing buttons in the human psyche that a placid response from the Yetzer HaTov just is not going to cut. So when Borei Olam gave the Torah with fire on Har Sinai, he indicated something very simple. You will be passionate about Torah and mitzvot. It will light you on fire. It will excite you. You'll be jumping up and down from it. Or you won't have received it at all. Because you know what? Everything else out there in the world comes at you with desire. Everything else out there in the world comes at you with passion. It's trying to light a fire in you. Every advertisement is trying to speak to that thing that on a human level we yearn for, we really, truly want. It's amazing, by the way. If you ever watch an advertisement, don't. But if you ever are stuck on YouTube in the middle of watching one of the Torah classes, and it cuts to an advertisement, and it's appropriate. Watch it, you'll notice. What are they selling you? You must have what I have. Look, I have this product, and here I am. I've got friends. How about you? Right, isn't that? that you, you, like, buy this beer. Look, he has a perfect functional family. Clearly, that is because of the beer. Right, that's what they're trying to communicate these warm feelings of home. They know how much people want that, especially people who don't come from that. People who want companionship. That's what they're selling you. They're selling you companionship. Look, this guy got this girl. Clearly it was because he bought, a, you know, a new Acura. Right? Obviously, right, that is what she put on her list of things she had to have in a man was a Lexus or a Mercedes. Like if you get the car, 
Right? I, always, I always wanted to do that. Just as if walk into a car dealership and say, okay, so if I buy this car, like, where's the woman that comes with the car? Like, is she in the trunk? What's going on here? I mean, does she come later? Can I choose, like, can to be someone who wears a shaitel? Like, you know, I just, I always wanted, it's like, you've been selling me this lady that comes with the car for like 20 years. You know, do I, is that how this works? You know, I always wanted to do that when I was a single guy. Now I think it would be really inappropriate as a rabbi. They're like, Rabbi, you wanted a woman in trouble? What are you talking about? You know? <laughs> right? But I've always wanted to call out marketers on this. Why are you lying to me? Like, could you imagine if ads told the truth? Buy our phone. You could make a phone call with it. <laughs> our phone goes on the internet, assuming it's a kosher, a non-kosher phone, right? You, you understand? Like, they know that the obvious things, they don't pull you. They don't speak, they don't whisper in your ear. So they promise you by association, by osmosis, that if you have this, you'll get that. And they know that a human being, we, we want things, we desire things, we we pine for things. Said God to the Jewish people, if your Torah is on fire, you've accepted it. If not, don't even bother. It won't work. There's a famous Gemara. The Gemara says, If this despicable creature, i.e., Huh? Yetzirah, right? If this despicable creature comes to you, if he bumped into you, if he's harming you, drag him to the Bet HaMidrash, to the study hall. And I've often thought that, that's, that sounds like such terrible advice. Like someone is mugging you, stabbing you on the street. Right, so you run away, don't you? Like, like running away is a good idea. Right, would you tell him, look, I really need to go. <laughs> Why don't we share an Uber? <laughs> Why would you take someone who's hurting you? Why would you take them with you? Leave them behind. It should say, Run to the Bet Midrash. And the answer is, because that won't work. You can't, you can't leave him behind. It's part of you. The only antidote to the Yetzirah is to drag him to the Bet Midrash and figure out something in the Bet Midrash that you desire as much or more than what he's giving you. Channeling that passion, that fire into something else is the only response to him. So, I think one of the things on Lag Ba'omer that we identify with when we are equating the Torah, at least the secrets of Torah, with a tremendous fire, is that perhaps the greatest secret of Torah is the underlying element, the secret part of every mitzvah. You know, you did the mitzvah like a mechanical robot, you didn't get it. You did the mitzvah and recognized that the purpose behind the mitzvah, the hidden purpose of the mitzvah, 
The secret element of that was to, tr- was to try and transform a lump of carbon-based life form into an actual mensch. That's fire. Hashem should bless us to touch the undercurrent of Torah. Hashem should bless us to have the light of Torah, the warmth of Torah, the passion of Torah be kindled in our hearts. And through that, there would be no space for the Yetzirah's fires to take us in the other way, for the anger to try and drag us, for the jealousy, for the desire to try and drag us in another direction because we've got a fire of our own. And at least in this, the only way to fight fire is with fire. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen.